0: so much happening in the stratosphere of Penn State. Not exactly Penn State-centric, but you know there's a lot of stuff going on right now. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. Tyler Donahue is with me. New coach at Ohio State, Urban Meyer is going to retire after the Rose Bowl. New coach at Maryland, Mike Loxley is officially in for that thing that we expected for, for the last month. Uh, Penn State had the nation's top prospect in town and Hey, guess what? Penn State's got a bowl game to come to or to go to. We were going to come to you earlier this week, but s- s- these things just kept stacking on on top of one another. Finally, we're getting to you, Tyler. It's been a busy week. It's not exactly Penn State, uh, you know. It's not all Penn State, but there's a lot of Penn State ties in what's going on right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then you throw in the fact that there's this conversation about the Big Ten and the Big Ten's approach to the college football playoff, and obviously that is is in Penn State's jurisdiction here as well. So, like I said before we came on the podcast, it feels like there's so many fringe news stories breaking every day or developments breaking that don't necessarily directly involve Penn State, but, you know, it's it's kind of a correlative thing, You know, whether it's Ohio State or Maryland. Obviously, that's big on the recruiting turf. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to get into the bowl game conversation a little bit today. One of the things is, you know, will a couple of Kentucky's best players actually be in that bowl game because uh, their draft stock looks pretty high. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but it's an interesting time. You know, we got what two weeks now until the early, early signing period. Uh, while a lot of you are focused on Christmas, uh, many of us are focused in on who the heck is going to end up with this Penn State class. And uh, obviously our 24-7 network has done a great job keeping everyone informed on the latest there. But we got plenty to talk about on this podcast today.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at my family calendar right now. Big letters uh circled on the 20, or on the 19th is signing day. So that's the last thing I guess before Christmas for us. But yeah, I mean uh First off, we're going to start talking about the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky one o'clock on New Year's Day and how Penn State got there um I, I think you know at the end of the season, everybody thought Michigan would you know take care of business against Ohio State win the big ten go to the playoff and then you know trickle down from there and Penn State would get a New year's six bowl didn't really work out like that Ohio State didn't do enough in the big Ten title game to get to the playoff and and to be to be frank I mean you've got Alabama Clemson Notre Dame and Oklahoma I'm fine with that I mean you, you can make an argument for Georgia you can make an argument for Ohio State but those teams did what they had to do and got there and and I'm perfectly fine with that I think what's interesting is is the big Ten now shut out of the shut out of the playoff and it's been kind of just a curmudgeon for Jim Delaney to to, to figure out what the best approach will be to get a big 10 team into that playoff he didn't seem particularly offended that that Ohio State didn't get in but at the same time I mean that that's your cash you want you want somebody in there to play for the national championship.
1: Yeah, when you have your conference champion left out of the playoffs back to back to back years, uh, it becomes a theme. And, and Penn State fans, you know, you know very well about what happened in 2016. Uh, that was a two loss Penn State team, and, and this is a one loss Ohio State team. Um, and you'd like to think that if your Big Ten champion has one loss, they'd have a really good shot. Ohio State ends up in these final rankings behind a two-loss Georgia that didn't even win its conference championship. I know a lot of people are trying to go off the eyeball test or they're trying to look at numbers. I just think you know we still are not sure what qualifies teams for the playoff. You know Notre Dame doesn't play in the conference championship. That's been a, that's been a part of the conversation as well. Uh, but Jim Delaney's he's going to be feeling the heat here again. It seems like it's you know an annual deal with. You no, know, can you find the right path? Is it a matter of scheduling out these conference games? You know, they they got 9 conference games on the schedule right now. There is clearly an issue in the balance of power from division to division, east to west. James Franklin, you know, discussed this a little bit on Sunday, kind of went on for a while about the Big Ten needing to have a uh, self-assessment, maybe needing to gain more information from the college football playoff on what it needs to do to put itself in a better situation. But let's face it, when you look at the resumes of these teams, that blemish, the loss to Purdue, was just too glaring for Ohio State to get in in this particular year. You can't go on the road and get blown out by a Purdue team that didn't look great toward the end of the season. Um, and on top of that, you know, Oklahoma, it was kind of seemed like it was a head to head showdown between those two. They go and avenge their only loss. And that loss was by what, three points to Texas back in October. So I- I'm with you. I'm fine with this, but you can't have the the Big Ten being left out the champion over and over and over again. And if I'm not mistaken, the last time a Big Ten team scored points in the playoffs, it was when Ohio State beat Oregon, in the national championship game in the inaugural playoff format. Michigan State got shut out, Ohio State got shut out, uh, and then these last few years, we haven't even seen a, a Big Ten team in there.
0: And I'm a big eight-team guy. I know that there's a lot of logistical things that will keep that from happening for at least a little bit, a little while, but I, I, I like the eight-team uh, theoretical format. But I think one thing Penn State fans will revel in was that Urban Meyer went on to the selection show and made his case saying, hey, we won our conference, and or, yeah, that was... Uh, It's pretty funny when you think about it. But uh, we're not going to spend too much time on that. Penn State going to the Citrus Bowl... Um, like we mentioned, Kentucky. First matchup since ni- the 1999 Outback Bowl when Tim Couch and LeVar Arrington were on the field, if that makes you feel old. 26-14 Penn State. Uh, mentioned last week on the podcast, the important thing isn't the opponent. The important thing isn't the uh, you know where you eventually end up. I think the important thing is 10 wins. If you can string together a third straight 10 or more win season, that's the big deal. And, and Kentucky is a, a pretty good matchup to do that against. Uh, the Wildcats also going for 10 wins. Got there a little bit differently they've got a a couple of really really good individual players Um, but you know you you don't think football when you think Kentucky they've had a really nice year they've also had a couple of bad losses down the stretch so it's a it's a matchup that's probably you know as good as you can expect if you're if you're trying to go for that 10th win
1: we've heard James Franklin and the Penn State players talk about the importance of you know solidifying this three-year stretch setting the seniors out Um, accomplishing something this program has not in its big Ten uh, era with these three straight double digit victory totals um, will be the first time since 1982. But on the phone call with Mark Stoops on Sunday night, after this game was announced, Very clear the 10 wins means just as much, if not more, to Kentucky. It's something that they haven't done since 1977. And we're not not talking about any three-year stretch. We're talking about one 10-win season. This is already their first nine-win season since the 80s. So uh, they're on on quite a roll right now. I think this is a a season that kind of came unexpectedly. You were looking at a program that many thought would be on the fringe of bull contention, maybe a seven-win team. Uh but you, you know, they've gotten some su- superb individual performances. They had some key wins early. Um I think they sputtered a lit a little bit down the stretch when they had an opportunity to really push themselves and, and you know they they could have easily thrust themselves into the mix for a New Year's six bowl consideration. Uh but unable to to, to, to win some of these games late in the season, Georgia. Tennessee. Um, so I think it's a good matchup for Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. Um, I think it's a, it's 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 just in general a really nice consolation prize. I know a lot of people are fixated on the New, York, New Year's Six setup, but interestingly enough, the Peach Bowl is played on December 29th. This game is played on New Year's Day. Um, to me, there's just always something about playing on New Year's Day in a ranked matchup, uh, and, and Penn State got that, and, and Penn State fans are going to get that it's a nice way to punctuate the season, I think, although their opponent doesn't necessarily have that you know, major cachet that you would be seeing if they were facing, say, an LSU or a Florida.
0: They they don't have that full team resume, but at the same time, they've got one of the best, if not the best, pass rusher in the game and Josh Allen, Jersey boy. Uh, everybody missed on him. He went to Kentucky. Uh, I think it was a late grab for Kentucky uh, out of Montclair um he's just a phenomenal player i mean this guy gets to the quarterback he's going to give penn state's tackles issues um if if he does eventually play in the bowl game and that's that's a, a separate discussion i think there's been speculation about him not playing but nothing that has said that there nothing's been said that he will actually sit it out but this kid is a top uh nfl prospect he's a guy that uh, looks really good when he puts the pads on he gets to the quarterback and and penn state is going to have to know where that guy is every every step of the way
1: Yeah, three games with more than 10 tackles, uh, four games with multiple sacks. He had three sacks against South Carolina back in September. And this is a guy who, you know, I think 24-7 sports just yesterday released uh, the initial uh, mock NFL draft for 2019. They've got him listed as the third overall pick, which again begs the question, Will we see him in a bowl game? he's cleaned up on the awards uh, on the awards tour uh, deservedly so, and he's a guy who obviously um, all due respect to everyone on penn state you know he's he's going to be the central figure in terms of two thousand and nineteen NFL draft talent in this game again, if he's on the field, and I think you can probably throw that same kind of caveat in the mix with Benny Snell at running back who. Very much like Miles Sanders uh, has had a tremendous season, is a junior, but different than Sanders. This is Snell's third straight year with 1,000 rushing yards.
0: Penn State took two New Jersey linebackers in the class of 2015, Daquan Kelly and Manny Bowen. That hurts when you look at Josh Allen still out there. It Just shows what what a crapshoot this is. And this wasn't this wasn't a guy that anybody really earmarked as a top prospect. A two star kid. He, he to his credit has built himself up into a you know one of the best players in the country. I'm a little surprised he was number three in the country. I'm thinking top fifteen. But as as pass rushers go. Kid is phenomenal. Benny Snell, high three-star prospect out of Ohio. That's something Kentucky has built their roster on is, is taking those guys from Ohio. It's a lot like Michigan State. Taking a lot of guys out of Ohio that didn't have Ohio State offers. Um, they've, they've got Coaches who are very active in that uh, in that state, and they've done a nice job. Benny Snell was a pr- pretty good prospect coming out of high school. They've given him the ball, and he's sort of exploded with it. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, if you were playing college fantasy football, this is a guy that popped up a lot uh, during the season. So a, a couple of individual talents, and we're going to get more into the Citrus Bowl preview, and Tyler's got a lot of stuff to write about in the next couple of weeks, uh, breaking down the Wildcats, but just an intriguing matchup against a team that's, that's got some really phenomenal individual players. And Snell
1: is that workhorse. Expect to see a lot of him. He's averaging uh, over the past two years, averaging more than 20 carries per game. He's got more than 700 rushing attempts in his college career through three seasons. So he's a guy they are not afraid to lean on, give him the ball very often. Um, and, you know, for me, though, you know, and we'll, and we'll talk about this more. I think it's an interesting matchup because the quarterback position there, um, I think Penn State can expose that a little bit. Um, you know, next to Snell, you've got Terry Wilson. Uh, the quarterback, he's six foot three. You know, is sophomore, uh, but he's a guy who they have not leaned on at all in the passing game. So I think if, if you can find a way to put it on him, he hasn't had a throw for for two hundred and seventy yards in a single game this year. Uh, I believe his high was about two sixty seven or something like that. Uh, a lot of these games under two hundred passing yards. The one thing though to note on Smith and or on Wilson. Uh, he has not thrown multiple interceptions in a single game since the opener, so he's done a nice job protecting the football. That's what they're going to want out of him in Kentucky, uh, and we will break down this matchup a lot, but it, it's an interesting one, and, and Kentucky's going to want to run the ball, and that's not too different than what Penn State saw a lot during the second half of the season where it was more of a game manager, don't make mistakes for us quarterback, and a running game that they wanted to really you know, pound Penn State. I thought the Nittany Lions held up pretty well, which was a testament to the growth we've seen on defense. And this would be a major test again.
0: You nailed my my next point: uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, Maryland, to some extent. Uh, you're talking about the running games that were, were most of the offense. I mean this wasn't this wasn't a fifty fifty split or close to it for any of these guys, any of these teams. And their quarterbacks were were pretty bad. I mean, you think back to Nate Stanley, but at Iowa it was really bad. Uh, Jack Cohn against Wisconsin was bad. Uh, Pegram, actually, for Maryland, threw the ball better than I've ever seen him throw, but still was not not that good. Even Brian
1: Lewerke, uh, until the final two minutes of the game, did not have himself a very good game. By the way, Kentucky runs it on 64% of its plays, Sean.
0: That's that's about what I would expect, <laughs> yeah. and, and you're opening old wounds here. But uh, as you do, you know, Tyler's the, Tyler's that guy on the podcast. So. Rip it off,
1: baby. Yep, <laughs> Rip it
0: off. All right. Penn State got a visit over the weekend from the nation's top prospect, Nolan Smith out of IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, originally from uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, is, is a phenomenal prospect. And this is a guy that we've been watching for a while. It just popped up that he was visiting last weekend, but we've been talking about it for the better part of a month on Lines 247com and uh yeah, just a a visit that kind of came out of the blue. um you know he he said last month that he was gonna get up and and see Penn State, see uh, Alabama, Tennessee before he got back to Georgia. He's a Georgia commit. Um, honestly a a lot of people don't expect him to stay committed to Georgia Alabama's right there I think you know if I had a crystal ball pick in there right now it might be on Alabama but I think uh, we're Penn State podcast so we're going to talk about Penn State Uh, this is an interesting case of hey it's kind of a pipe dream but at the same time any time that that kid can get to your campus on an official visit and I say that kid I don't mean Smith uh, specifically but a kid of that profile that's going to come up, check you out, is going to uh, sort of, uh, I guess, advertise your program. He did a really uh, good job on social media putting things out there. Micah Parsons was a big part of it. Jesse Lucetta was a big part of it. Um, so anytime that you can get that guy onto your campus to, to sort of you know, expose you to these other five-star kids, expose you to the the kids that are following him on Twitter for the next cycle, that's a, that's a huge thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean it may be a pipe dream, like you said, but it's a pipe dream for every Power Five program in in college football to get the number one recruit on campus. You know, this far down the stretch, um, I, I find it very interesting here with Georgia. It's not like Georgia uh, has fallen off. I mean, they were right there in playoff contention again. They've held his commitment um, since midway through his sophomore year. He's a Savannah Georgia guy, um, but yeah, it seems like you know he's exploring his options here. Um, and, and with Penn State, I mean. What a smart move uh, to, to make sure Micah Parsons is, is involved here. I think that really shows you how Micah Parsons has progressed uh, in that locker room with the coaching staff. Uh, they see him as someone they want front and center when they have recruits like this on campus. Parsons is only a year removed from from a similar situation. Remember, he, when everyone was thinking it was a done deal, he would end up at Penn State. He made that late trip to Georgia, You know, kept kept everybody on their toes a little bit there. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, Nolan Smith make the most of his opportunities to, to take these trips. Um, I will say it was interesting. You you and I have talked to a bunch of recruits coming off visits like this, committed guys who you think maybe they just want to go explore a little bit. They want to cash in on these free trips while they can before they pick before they officially sign. Um, and then you'll hear you know pleasantries and, and polite words afterwards. He went all caps on Twitter with the best weekend of my life. Talked about James Franklin being a true players coach. I know you spoke to him more in detail, but I think just his tweet alone sent some shockwaves across social media a little bit. Yeah, and
0: that's going to help Penn State in the long run. And, and I mean, it, you think about it. I mean, Penn State is not exactly the place you want to visit in in late November early December. It's 35, 40 degrees outside. This is not Miami. This is not USC or what have you. But, uh, yeah, and if you can get that guy onto campus and, and advertise from you, or sort of advertise for you. Uh, I think it says a lot about where you stand as a program, uh, sort of on the cusp. And I think it says a lot uh, about jwan cider Sider. I mean, Sider is a guy that got him up here. And of course it's a, it's a whole staff effort, but I think, you know the staff has kind of had their eyes open to what they can do. You've brought Noah Kane up for a visit. You brought Mark Anthony Richards up for a visit. You got Nolan Smith up for a visit. So I think I think there's more potential there than I think the staff kind of realized with with getting kids to come up and check things out. And you sell what you sell. I mean, you, you're not going to sell to a Florida kid that it's going to be 70 degrees or 80 degrees all year round. It's just not happening. But Hey, you're going to play in the NFL. You're going to play in these conditions. You're going to play in a big stadium. Nolan Smith, very impressed with Beaver Stadium. The, just the, the the size of it was uh, was something that he marveled at. Uh, so you sell what you can sell. You get these to, guys to campus, and really anything can happen. I mean, this is, this is three weeks before signing day. I mean, he's not doing it just for the hell of it. I mean, he's not going to to State College Pennsylvania because he he's he a tourist and he wants to see everything that, that that's really cool in State College Pennsylvania in December this is an an opportunity for you to you know build your brand and sort of extend into a national uh, national relevance with guys that maybe you would have not have opened their eyes with uh, prior to this
1: yeah I mean it's not I think it was huge that that, that what's the thing that recruits come to, to state college for often to go and sit in beaver Stadium with hundred and eight thousand people and watch a football game. And that wasn't the, the case here. I mean, this was, I'm sure, a very intimate visit. Um, you know, it's not like what it's going to be this upcoming weekend with a ton of guys on campus visiting. Uh, I'm sure he was able to get any questions he needed answered if he wanted to see something on campus, whether it was academic, athletic, support staff. They made sure he was front and center meeting the people he needed to meet. I have no doubt about that. You know, when when it's a, a guy of this caliber, essentially, you know, being your marquee visitor and the only guy on campus with an official visit, I'm sure he saw what he needed to. And, um, you know, I think with Penn State, uh, you just, you kind of wrap your head around the fact that, it, and this is a, I still think it's a very much a long shot, but man, if you're able to somehow bring Nolan Smith in here with what you've already got cooking at linebacker and, and what you've got coming in at linebacker and what you can do off the edge—I mean, it is—it is, it is special to think about what Penn State could potentially work in here. And and I'll tell you what—it would be one of the more stunning moments um, in recent recruiting memory for me, at least. If 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 Penn State were to flip the kid from Georgia, based on a couple like what forty-eight hours in state college, uh, it would be a pretty pretty notable development. And I always think it's interesting—we've seen it happen before. know, how can you commit based on one trip? John Dunmore did it. Uh, Jordan Miner did it last year. You know, um, these kids who who make long distance trips, uh, uh, they might not be able to pay their way back. Might not make sense right now. The the timeline is different. Um, So is it it possible? Yes. Do I think it's going to happen? Do I think you think it's going to happen? Not necessarily. But uh, it is a I think it's just something that should be acknowledged that they're able to execute a visit like this in December.
0: Yeah, you said it would be a notable thing. I think it'd be a little more than notable. Well, uh, it, would, another it thing.
1: would be pretty fireworks, I guess, would be a better way to put it.
0: <laughs> that that might be selling it short as well. But to, he's <laughs> six three two four. I mean, he's a phenomenal pass rusher off the edge is a lot like Micah, to be honest with you. And somebody on the board asked earlier this week, he, do you put him at the end? Do you put him at linebacker? Uh, the answer there is, hey, wh- whatever the hell the kid wants to play, you put him there. I mean, that's, that's how big this recruitment would be. So, uh, Nolan Smith visited Penn State over the weekend. Um, we're going to get into Penn State's big official visit weekend coming up in a little bit. First, we're going to talk a little bit more about Ohio State, the changes that happened there. Urban, Urban Meyer out after the Rose Bowl. Ryan Day is in. And, you know, if you're Penn State, you got to like that. I mean, (laughs) Urban Meyer is is really one of a kind when it comes to, to recruiting. And it is a guy that you've gone head to head against since James Franklin has been in there. And and they've done some nice things. They've done some really good things head to head against Ohio state on the field and recruiting. But at the same time, I mean, you're not competing with this guy anymore. That's, that's a big step forward for Penn state.
1: Yeah. Major challenge for Ryan day. And we're going to learn a lot about him and and what he can do on the recruiting trail and in the years to come. uh, But you know, the fact is what he will not have and what 99.9% of coaches across the country do not have is, you know, the national championship resume, the ability to point to Heisman Trophy winners that you have coached, number one NFL draft pick that you have produced, um, and obviously a litany of professional paychecks that have been earned by players that Urban Meyer recruited and signed, whether it was at Utah, Florida, or Ohio State over the past, you know, nearly decades. So I think that's huge. You know, Nick Saban was in that realm. Uh, I was going to say it's, (laughs) it's
0: more 99 point Nick Saban than 99. (laughs) Can I just go with
1: a bunch of nines? Yeah. I mean, even, you know, Jimbo Fisher who has the one uh, hasn't consistently recruited at the level we've seen urban Meyer top 10 class, top five class, top three class. I mean, it doesn't change and that's dating all the way back, uh, you know, to, to early part of this century at Florida. He's just every single year signing top five, top 10 classes. And uh, you know, it's a cycle, you know, his success on the field, Obviously, that's going to help in recruiting. His success in recruiting is going to help on the field, and it's worked out well for him. Um, it'll be interesting here. We've seen a couple decommitments in 2020, but obviously, this is a team that Ohio State, Penn State have gone head to head in frequency. Um, Penn State has done a nice job elevating their stature as a recruiting program, and maybe now Ohio State just goes a little bit of a notch below uh, until we've, we learn a little bit more about Ryan Day and where this staff shakes out in 2019.
0: That's the thing to remember is that, is that Ryan Day can be a really good coach and I like Ryan Day a lot in terms of what he was able to do earlier this year and the things I've heard about him as a coach and he's been a guy that's passed up other opportunities to to stay at Ohio State and you know think he can be a good coach but that's not Urban Meyer. I mean that's that's what it comes down to is Urban Meyer was not only a closer on the recruiting trail he was a guy that was sort of omnipresent in in, in recruitment throughout And uh, it's going to be one of those things where you can't walk in there with a fistful of rings like uh, like Urban Meyer could and seal the deal. It's going to take Ryan Day some time. It's going to take Ryan Day some time to figure out what his staff is going to look like? I was talking to a to a college coach earlier this week, and they're fascinated with which way this could go. Because even though this was a, a staff that Ryan Day was part of, now are you going to have Greg Schiano back? Are you going to have Larry Johnson back? It's a, if you look at a situation like Virginia Tech, where Justin Fuente came in and and they kept Bud Foster because that's what everybody wanted to do at Virginia Tech because he's such an institution. Well, that place is in shambles right now. I mean, this is a this is a situation where you've got conflicting you've got Meyer people. Do you have day people? Do you have other people? I mean, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see which direction this is going to go because this is a a, a top tier staff and they're going to have other options. We've heard, you know, um, Oklahoma talk about uh taking Grinch the defensive coordinator and and Greg Schiano always has opportunities and uh you know it's 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 really fascinating to see how this is going to shake out because you know eventually at the end of the day you're going to need Ryan Day people if you're a Ryan Day you know if you're Ryan Day so it's uh it's fascinating to see how this is going to work out uh, on the recruiting trail right now Ohio State has lost a pair of 2020s uh, kind of two conflicting situations. Um, the defensive back from, from IMG Academy, uh, Lejean Kajavos, I'm saying his name wrong. You could probably see that one coming just if you've based off his actions and he's visited some other spots and um and, and then you look and I think it's Jake Ray, uh, Max Ray was the older one or I may have them flip back back and forth. Um he's got an older brother on the team. So that kind of raises some eyebrows when you're talking about uh twenty twenty kids stepping away. I think twenty nineteen will be fine for the most part. From a Penn State perspective, you're looking at Doug Nestor, is probably the guy that is impacted the most by this. But uh it's it it's a situation where I Ohio State's gonna lose some of their buzz on the recruiting trail, not all of it. They're not going to lose all of it. This is a t- the top tier program, an elite program, if you will. They're not going to lose all of it, but it's it, there's going to be a little bit of a hit to it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, you don't have to look too far to see where one of these secession plans goes. Well, I think a lot of people thought when Bob Stoops left Oklahoma that program might take a step back from a recruiting standpoint, from an on field performance standpoint. And look, Lick and Riley through two seasons now is arguably the you know the hottest rising star in college football coaching here. That worked out, but we have seen situations where it has tailspin. Um, you mentioned what's going on at Virginia Tech. Obviously, this is such a high-caliber, major spotlight situation, and Urban Meyer lost so few games and rarely lost them close together. So, you know, Ryan Day, um, you know, he's going to enter 2019 um, with, I think, a benefit of the doubt. But, but if they go through some struggles, the kind they haven't seen, In a decade, that's when we really have to start to examine, all right, now what happens here? Because there's some tangible evidence that the program has slipped a little bit in the absence of Urban Meyer. Until that happens, though, I think they can really build off the reputation. They've got a lot of familiar faces. Um, So it will be interesting. I will say the one thing I was curious about, Uh, with Urban Meyer leaving is is some of those recruits that he brought in. We know he's signed so many of these great recruiting classes. How do those guys feel about it? You know, uh, I know a lot of them responded in positive fashion. This is a medical issue, too, potentially with Urban Meyer, so you have to factor that in. But I will say I heard before Tate Tate Martell enrolled there that he was the best fit that Urban Meyer would ever have at quarterback um, in his system. And and obviously, you know, he's gone. Ryan Day is calling the shots. It'll be interesting. I think with a lot of those younger guys on this roster who haven't necessarily seen time yet um, and Urban Meyer was a big part of the process, you know, we'll see how they handle this situation um, moving ahead because personnel, you know, those are Urban's guys.
0: There will be questions, I think, and I, I totally agree with you. I think there there will be questions, but there's still athletes there, there's still a very strong brand there. I think the the biggest thing to from a recruiting standpoint, from a Penn State standpoint, is is the twenty twenty class very, very strong in this region and there's been a lot of head to head uh not matchups already, but you know ones that you can look at and say that Ohio State is strong in this one, Penn State is strong in this one. Uh, of course, you throw Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, maybe Michigan in there as well. And you know you're looking at battling the same teams for a lot of these guys. And you're talking Brian Bressy and Julian Fleming and Marshawn Lloyd, and just it goes down the list of of, of places where you're going to have to deal with uh, with this. So I think that you see this 2020 class. Um, and Mikhail Sherman's a name I could throw in there if you're talking Penn State, Ohio State. Um, if you look at this 2020 class, it's, I think it's going to take some pause for, for Ohio State. These kids are going to want to get out there and see what's going on. They're going to talk to Ryan Day and figure out what's going on. And, and if you talk to Urban Meyer and you talk to Ryan Day, those are two different guys. I mean, this is this is a situation where you know what you're expecting when you visit several times and you talk to Urban Meyer. And you know, Day was there too, but now that he's running the show, it's going to be a different conversation. It's going to be a different uh, approach to things. So um, really interested to see how that impacts the 2020 recruitment. And like you said, Penn State is looking to load up in 2020 with uh, with some of these these big name prospects and these guys that they're going to go head to head with Ohio State and Alabama, etc. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out.
1: Yep, and uh, you know we'll obviously be learning a lot about the recruiting impact along the way. And uh, next season, Penn State will make the trip back to Columbus. We'll see if this Ohio State team. Looks markedly different on the football field, whether that's a positive thing uh, or a negative thing. You know, we'll we'll learn that as time goes
0: on. But I think and you got to you the- got to think Dwayne Haskins is gone. I mean, you, you, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think don't so. I don't see him passing up that that sort of money to go uh, to, to stay in school for another year. So Ryan Day may have to break in another uh, quarterback. He's got a ton of underclass talent that is draft eligible. Of course, he's already lost Nick Bosa. Uh, not that he was expected to be back, even if Meyer was back, so they've got a lot of guys that can really uh, you know play at the next level, and we'll see if that jump happens. I mean Penn State didn't see it when uh, as much when when Bill O'Brien left and James Franklin came in, but still you know Alan Robinson, if he was on the fence at all, he's gone. so I, I think you see situations like that where some of those Ohio State guys will will jump to the NFL, so this roster, this coaching staff, could look you know fairly different than it looks right now for Ryan Day next year.
1: Ryan Day, the one thing he certainly cannot complain about is Urban left the cupboard bare for me because they have just, uh, you know, they've stockpiled talent. You know it as well as anybody. And, and and I think there is a lot of potential for their number two quarterback in Tate Martell, who will be in his third college year next season. I would imagine he's the heir apparent. If Dwayne Haskins makes that leap, as as we kind of expect, so yeah, uh, it it'll be interesting. It's going to reshape the Big Ten a little bit. It's going to reconfigure things. All of a sudden, James Franklin is in the top third of the Big Ten conference in terms of uh, longest tenure, and 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 uh, you know, just that's the way college football works. And by the way, Urban Meyer, the medical stuff will be interesting to sort through. But I just have a tough time wrapping my head around the fact that this guy, as competitive as he is, as much success as he's had at fifty six years old. Uh, is truly, you know, the the book is closed. Like, we're never going to see him on the sideline. Um, you know, obviously the medical stuff will play a role in that, but he's going to have opportunities if he ever raises his hand and said, I'm ready to come back to the sideline. And I think at 56 years old, I just have a hard time saying, well, let's talk about his legacy because he's done, uh, put a period at the end of his career. I'm not quite there yet. I, I know I know, a lot of people might be,
0: uh, but I'm not. Coaches are wired different. For the most part, they're insane. <laughs> and uh, this is this is something that you watched his press conference, and he asked if they'd coach again, and you know he he kind of said that he wouldn't, but let's be honest with you. I mean, the, the body language says it all. I mean, you, you don't want to close that door. Um, you, you're thinking about potentially, you know, Notre Dame or the NFL or something like that pops up, and you know it's a, it's another thing. And I, I would not be shocked to see him back in the coaching uh, realm in a couple of years. I mean, will he go back to ESPN? Do his thing? I'm sure they're willing to throw some money at him. So it's gonna be fascinating. Fascinating to see how that turns out. Another coaching change in the Big Ten, uh not not surprising at all that Maryland opted to go with Mike Loxley. That was the number one from the start, the obvious choice. Uh despite his, his actually brutal uh, record as a head coach three and thirty one at not- or excuse me, in New Mexico. Um, a few years back, went to Maryland, um, you know, came back to Maryland, did some nice things on the recruiting trail, then went to Alabama, sort of rehabbed his image, uh, sort of uh, recollected himself as a as a coach. And now he's at Maryland. And that's uh, I think that's one thing when we talk about Ohio State, you're always focused on the field, um, you know, because because that's going to be the biggest game for Penn State every year. With Maryland, you're focused on the recruiting trail because Mike Loxley is a is a, just a uh a, I mean, he's he's ruthless when it comes to the recruiting trail. He's he's done some great things at Alabama, bringing some kids down from the DMV. He's well-respected in that area, the D.C. Maryland area. He's going to get some kids out of that area. And I know Penn State fans probably don't want to recognize that admit it, but this is a guy that's done it in the past, and he's going to continue to have kids at the very least check out Maryland that probably wouldn't be if it's D.J. Durkin or if it's Matt Canada.
1: Perfect example here is the guy we just mentioned. Dwayne Haskins had a great relationship. I mean, Loxley was his guy at Maryland, uh, and and here we are with him being a star at Ohio State on the precipice of an NFL career. He didn't stick with that Maryland commitment, and that's been the issue. They, they've picked up the occasional commitment that falls through. Uh, their running back, McFarland is a nice example of a local prospect that they actually did sign, and, and he's been a very good player for them. But, yeah, I mean, you've got the Notre Dames and Penn States and Ohio States of the world, you know, coming in and just crushing your local recruiting trail on an annual basis. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's the shape that New Jersey and Rutgers is in, but it's not a good position that Maryland has been in in terms of the exodus of talent. Loxley seems to be a guy that, that can, you know, really quickly, you know, getting those head coaches offices, these different high schools across the region, make that impact and work to probably fix some some severed ties that I have to imagine. Uh, and, and I think, well, with the whole what what how it went down with the past Terps regime and, uh, you know, the the bitter notes and and just the the volatile atmosphere. He's a good guy that I think is going to need to go in there. And, and mission number one is going to be, you know, to try to rebuild some of those bridges that maybe collapsed in the past year.
0: Yeah, and he's been around so long down there that, that these coaches respect him. Um, you're talking about not only the public school guys, but the private school, which is so huge down there as well with the DeMathas and the Good Councils and the Gonzagas and St. John's and St. Francis in Baltimore. So um, it's been one of those things where I think – it, it, it ultimately seemed like the play when he was at Alabama. You know he he was the offensive coordinator. Of course, you know Alabama's a machine that, that that helps run itself pretty well. But he was the offensive coordinator. But he still went back to the DMV, landed a lot of kids out of St. Francis. Uh, you know, got a lot of kids from St. John's to check them out. And uh, Keelan Robinson's committed to uh, to Alabama. Shane Lee's committed to Alabama. Demarco Helms at DeMatha is committed to Alabama. So familiar names. Going down to Alabama mostly because of Mike Loxley. So, of course, you know, the Alabama mystique and everything like that. But Loxley's kind of the, the guy that fought for them to, to get them in there. So that's going to resonate. Uh, Maryland's going to get some guys on campus. We talked about Brian Bressy um, a lot on this podcast. This is a kid that's number one in the country in 2020. Um, and he's going to check them out. I mean, this is, he hasn't said, come out and said that, but it's going to happen. These guys are going to pop up on campus. Loxley's going to get out there. Not sure what kind of staff he's going to be able to put together. I think that's going to be fascinating because you want to probably, if you're Maryland, keep guys like Chris Beatty and Azar Abdul Rahim in check. And Loxley's going to bring some of his own guys and he's going to bring in some guys that have connections to the, the DMV area. And I think that w- w- the key there is for, for Loxley is to build from, uh, from within, I mean, you you start in the DMV and then you sort of matriculate down to the seven five seven, try and get into Pennsylvania and Philly and and places that some of these bigger programs that you're competing with maybe aren't hitting as well, or trying to find some 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 guys in this area. But it all starts in the DMV. He's going to put together a staff of guys that uh, that have known the area very well, and I think that's probably the right decision.
1: Yep, uh, and and it will be interesting to see how he pieces this together. I think with a lot of this stuff. You kind of got to wait until after the early signing period, at least, to see some dominoes fall with a lot of these staffs. that just the way it works, uh, potentially after the, the February signing period, even. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's a nice move for Maryland. Obviously, you said uh, Mike Loxley's resume as a head coach is not impressive, but. There's a big difference between doing it in Maryland. We'll have a chance to, to build upon those personal relationships and doing it in the desert out west. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for him. And one side note here of, of somewhat Penn State re- uh, relevance, uh, former Penn State assistant Josh Gaddis was brought into the Alabama uh, coaching staff last year after Loxley was promoted from wide receivers coach to offensive coordinator. Um, wonder what happens with him now. Is he a guy that Loxley would maybe has forged a relationship with? Would like to bring the Maryland. Is he a guy that Alabama maybe takes a longer look for more duties? Just thought that was interesting because I know a lot of people around here thought very highly of Gaddis as a coach and a recruiter during his four
0: years in Happy Valley. I'm curious what the investment looks like from from a Maryland standpoint because Gattis making 550 at uh, at Alabama is pretty pretty hefty for a position coach and we'll see what they pay their coordinators. But you're, you're talking about kind of the same thing when you're talking about a guy like Larry Johnson. You're you know is is he a guy that you bring in to sort of uh, bring in as a defensive coordinator to you know solidify yourself in that area and go from there? It's just it's, it's fascinating how it's going to turn out and, and and don't get me wrong. I mean he's he's going to recruit well. He's going to bring in a couple of guys that they. shouldn't shouldn't get. And they probably, you know, you've seen this in the past with, uh, I guess, you know, Stefan Diggs and things like that. But um, I'm not impressed with his on-field coaching. I'm, I'm curious how he's going to go. And I'm not sure that this is the guy that's going to get them, you know, in the long term to, to to nine wins to 10 wins or anything like that. It's But I think in the short term, it's it's the right hire. They're going to, he's going to do a good job in, in sort of uh, calming the flames of the Jordan McNair sort of situation that that has played out there. So I, I'm I'm on the fence about the hire. I think it's a good recruiting hire. From a football standpoint, I don't see this being a, a truly threatening hire based on his current body of work.
1: I will say, little surprise that this ended up being seemingly a pretty neat and tidy situation for Maryland moving on to the next head coach. You know, it seemed like they got their number one guy. They didn't get turned down by a bunch of people. I think there was com- some concern uh, in the Maryland community that because of the toxic environment that 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 kind of... Overshadowed this 2018 year for the program that it may be difficult to pitch this program uh, to somebody. Mike Loxley
0: obviously saw a fit, uh, and, and so they'll move forward. It was the obvious choice. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. Is it was the obvious choice for for Maryland to to sort of just get any sort of traction because playing in the Big Ten East. I mean, that's a long way to go. This is a huge. He's got a huge job in front of him because there's uh, there's some talent on that roster, but. It's not as talented as it could be, and it's not as talented as the the teams he's going to go against. So fascinating to see how that one plays out. Like I said, I think we'll see – that new coach bump that we've always talked about uh, with with the recruitment, and you're going to see a lot of DMV kids checking him out, curious if he brings on guys from the DMV. Era, you, you know Elijah Brooks from DeMath is the head coach there. He's been rumored to go to Maryland for the last I think three or four years, and you've got uh, guys up at Saint Francis. It's just going to be really fascinating. Probably guys that a lot of people that are listening to the podcast don't know their names. They're not household names, but uh, he's going to bring some guys in there to to sort of shake things up. Penn State is going to bring some guys in this weekend. Big official visit weekend for the Nittany Lions. You've got most of your class coming in. I think everybody that, that it's committed, Penn State's got 17 commits right now, everybody that's committed that hasn't taken their official visit, uh, with the exception of Hakeem Beeman, who has a state title game on Saturday, um, will be up for their official visit. You're talking Jaquan Brisker, Keaton Ellis, Joey Porter, Taquan Roberson, Emory Simmons, Caden Wallace, Anthony Wigan, and Selim Wormley. So, a pretty good group there. Then add on top of that, you've got five guys that are coming for official visits: Jared Harrison, Hunt, Cornelius Johnson, receiver from Connecticut; Ja'Kai Moore is one of the top targets; an offensive tackle, Trevor Keegan, an offensive tackle from Chicago; and Smith Bilbert, the really intriguing defensive lineman from Jersey. So, it's going to be a, a really busy weekend for Penn State. Just curious, your thoughts and initial initial impressions of this weekend.
1: Well, I think anytime you can get this volume of committed players on campus with the uncommitted guys, it, it, it's it's a really good opportunity. And and you know we saw this happen. What was that back in uh, in May? I think it was maybe early June when when Michael Johnson made the cross country trip, and and I think John Dun- John Dunmore was up on campus, and and a lot of committed guys were on campus at the same time. And I think you can come you can gain a lot from a setting like that. And you know probably other than the Ohio State game, the lash bash, um, you know. The spring game, this is up there in in kind of recruiting events that Penn State will have on campus this year. I think Trevor Keegan is an interesting one that stands out to me, along with Ja'Kai Moore. Uh, And then Cornelius Johnson, this is a guy that, surprisingly, I had to double-check this with you last week, I think it was. He hasn't been to campus since he got his Penn State offer. I mean, um, so he didn't get to a game this year. He's not that far away in Connecticut. Stanford seems to be in good shape for him. We know how how things have gone with David Bell in a different direction at receiver. So Cornelius Johnson seems to be the guy as that third receiver slot if you can bring him in. And this is their chance. So I think he's probably the one I'm going to be curious to see how he reacts to the the visit most. uh, Because he just hasn't been on campus uh, with the frequency of of some of these other guys.
0: It's it's a group when you're talking talking about the the official, the uncommitted guys. It's a really interesting group because you've had Harrison Hunt, where you know you you think the Penn State has been the front runner for a long time. You've got Cornelius Johnson, who was offered a junior day in February and hasn't visited since. He did come, I think, for two games last season in the 2017 season, so that was kind of a head scratcher. Stanford, of course, is there. Notre Dame's there. He'll go to Michigan next weekend for an official visit. So uh, I think that's probably the most curious one with me because you've got Tyler Rudolph, you've got Marquise Wilson, guys that he knows very well. Um, that that have been on campus several times since then and, and you know he just hasn't made the trip but uh, Penn State has stayed on him they prefer him to some of these other targets that they've gone after like a Jalen Curry and um, not necessarily David Bell but David Bell's sort of gone off in that uh, in the gone wayward to Purdue I guess you could say so Cornelius Johnson comes into focus Ja'Kai Moore is a you know he's been a top top of the board guy for them for a long time his recruitment has been weird. I mean, his he he took a lot of visits in the spring and he's been to Penn State several times, probably more than anybody. Um, but South Carolina's been there, Clemson's been there, Virginia, he was supposed to take an official visit there last weekend, decided he didn't feel like wasting his time or their time last Friday and didn't go. I mean, it's just been a a very laid-back recruitment where you're just kind of wondering what's what's going on and it's not like he's out visiting more schools and um, you know, if you're Penn State and you think that you're in the lead, and I have my crystal ball in Penn State right now for Ja'Kai Moore, it's not like he's popping up at uh, a different school every weekend. He's just... He's sort of downplayed the process and it's sort of drawn out and strung out. And it's been kind of crazy to watch. Keegan uh, has been all over the map. You've looked at him at Ohio state, Michigan, Georgia was even there for a little bit. Um, You know, I think Michigan is probably the most likely landing spot right now, but he's been to Penn state several times and Smith Vilbert. I don't even know where to start on that one because this is a basketball kid who just getting, is just getting into football recruiting, probably going to string it out and go to, uh, to, to February to sign and, um no it's 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 just a really interesting group because they're all over the map and, and and it is that time of year where you're waiting on kids that have been in that situation but it's a it's a fascinating group to watch and i think penn state you know if, if they got all five wouldn't be surprised if they got one or two wouldn't be surprised It's just it, it's all over the map and i'm not sure which way it's going to go
1: it feels like there's a little more loose threads in play than there were this time last year that's that's kind of my take on it and because like, you're right, these guys are kind of all over the place. We're down to the wire. Can't get a great read on, on some of them. And I'm curious which of these committed players, or or maybe it's a few of them, is going to kind of take on that leadership role. I, I think Keaton Ellis uh, has really progressively done that. He is the hometown kid. He's someone who has specifically told me uh, that Cornelius Johnson was in his crosshairs. He said that a couple times, that he's focused in on Cornelius Johnson. So expect Keaton Ellis to get a lot of one-on-one time there. But I think you know you have your, your initial three commitments on camp. Together here, um, and Keaton Ellis uh, and Taquan Roberson and and Caden Wallace. That's a nice group to have there with some of these guys. And uh, I just think it's important for as much as the staff is going to pour into this, uh, the coaches, uh, you know, the, the the personnel guys, they're gonna you know pump as much as they possibly can into this weekend. But I think something that sometimes gets a little overlooked is the conversations that go on, you know, when they're not in these kind of functions, when they're not in front of the staff. With the peers, what did you see in Penn State? What convinced you to take the plunge and commit to Penn State? Uh, you know, What do you think we could do together here? I think those kind of conversations are huge. This is the kind of weekend where the peer recruiting really takes the precedent.
0: Those are oftentimes the most valuable conversations that a recruit will have over over the course of a weekend. I talked to Nolan Smith earlier this week. He talked about his conversations, you know, away from James Franklin, away from uh, the coaching staff, with Micah Parsons, with Jesse Luchetta, and you're going to see that a lot this weekend with these uncommitted guys, and and then the committed guys on their official visit. And then on top of that, you've got several committed guys coming in that have already taken their officials. Guys, you know, Brandon Smith took his official in the spring. I believe, or took his official. Uh, for the Ohio state game. And, and and Devin Ford took his official in the spring and Lance Dixon took his official in the spring. So it's going to be, uh, really interesting to see, you know, how much of a sort of a hard press these guys put on these uncommitted guys and sort of showcase the family theme. and, And they do that everywhere. This is not just a Penn state thing, but to get this many guys on campus together, to have five, possibly six official visitors in town, um, to, to, two weeks before signing day. It's it's, it's certainly a, a good recipe for things to happen.
1: And this is the time to have this kind of weekend, Sean, because this is crunch time. Uh, not everybody is going to sign during the early signing period, which December 19th kicks that off this year, but many of them are. And, and so this is your chance, last impression, last chance to answer any questions that mom and dad might have, that the player might have. And Uh, You want to kind of clear the air and make sure that you have a good understanding of where things are between your program and a prospect this late in the game.
0: Yeah, and, and there's 17 commits, and we expect all 17 to sign on, on National Signing Day on December 19th, And but there's still plenty of spots out there. You're looking at defensive linemen. Of course, Zach Harrison is still out there, Adisa Isaac, Harrison Hunt. We talked about Devon Ellis, who is suddenly getting hot with a USC offer, an official visit, a Michigan offer this week. Smith Vilbert uh, is, is on that trajectory as well, that, 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 that he's sort of heating up as well. Um, offensive tackle, you've got Moore and Doug Nestor, who we talked about, Trevor. Keegan, you're probably going to add one more of those, try maybe two. I mean, if the guy's right, take take all the offensive linemen you can get. Cornelius Johnson's still up there. Penn State's still looking at running backs with Noah Kane and and Mark Anthony Richards. Noah Pola Gates has has come into the focus as a top target and defensive back, the top target, possibly the really the only top target. It's not like you need numbers at that position back there, but Pola Gates is a guy that can do a lot of things for you in, in that back seven um and then you're going to get to the holiday you're going to sign those kids on the 19th and then you're going to sort of readjust your board and we saw that so we saw it last year guys getting offers uh, all throughout January maybe surprising offers for the, some of these guys so they're going to reset their board and and then decide what they have uh, sort of in the cart and then go from there in January yeah and and that's like we talked about i think last week it's a fascinating new part of the recruiting
1: calendar where there is essentially uh, OK, who did we get? Who didn't we get? And, and how do we plan accordingly f- for January? Uh, and, and that's just the new reality of recruiting. Um, you know, in some ways, it's very beneficial for, for these prospects who elect not to sign in December. You know, maybe a guy who, who has some middle of the pack power five offers, thinks he's better than that, holds out. And all of a sudden in January, new offers start to trickle in and, and you're working with a whole new recruiting framework with one month to figure things out. Uh, it, it's a big challenge for the programs and the players um, and, and for recruiting analysts, but it is interesting. And so we'll see how many of these guys are ready to take the plunge. I, I think where you're looking specifically, at least for me, defensive line. I mean, wh- what's going to happen there? How are things going to shake out, whether it's Adiza Isaac or, or Harrison Hunt or, or, you know, what's Zach Harrison finally going to give us an answer about? And then you mentioned Devon Ellis getting that Michigan offer. He's someone who, who is trajectory pointing straight up. So I, I think, you know, Defensively, a lot of the answer, a lot of the questions have been answered earlier in this class. They've done a great job with the defensive backfield. They've got a couple of really good linebackers who are going to be on campus next month. Now, Nolan Smith, major wild card out there, is an interesting one, no doubt. Uh, but I think defensive line it has been a vocal point for me really since the summer to see who ends up in this class and and who goes elsewhere.
0: And and there's so much value in that defensive line where you're trying to stockpile those. You see teams like Clemson and Alabama, that's how they do it. And Penn state, that's how they want to do it. And for, for whatever reason, which kind of is a head scratcher to me, they haven't had as much success uh, at some of those spots, especially defensive tackle. So, We'll see where that goes or uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I the last thing to get here, Brandon Smith, Virginia Player of the Year. I'm going to guess that he edged out Devin Ford, who had a phenomenal year as well. Um, Julian Fleming is your Gatorade def- uh, excuse me, Gatorade State Player of the Year for Pennsylvania. Brian Brezzi in Maryland. And for, for two 2020 guys to, to take their State Player of the Year, and, and essentially we're assuming that they're going to win it next year as well. I mean, that's, uh, that's an eye-catcher right there, and these are two huge targets for Penn State.
1: Yep, um, further evidence that they are special talents and, and guys that Penn State's directly involved in. Um, juniors, that's that's impressive. I'm sure there's some, some angry seniors in those states to see that, but I don't think you can really argue against those resumes. Brandon Smith is the second Penn State prospect in a row to be Virginia's Gatorade Player of the Year. That went to Ricky Slade uh, back in 2017. And one other Gatorade Player of the Year of note for Penn State fans, Cornelius Johnson, who we've spent some time talking about for his success at receiver, he is the Gatorade player of the year up in Connecticut this year. Well,
0: you you said that some seniors can be upset about it, and I, I get that, <laughs> and I'm sure that's happened in the past. But you look at the numbers that Julian Fleming put up this year, and that, they'll go up against—and and I know he plays 2A ball, but they'll go up against any kid in 6A, 5A, whatever you want to throw out there, senior or whatnot— I mean, this kid, I'm not this
1: making kid, the case for a Pennsylvania senior. No, he's he's <laughs> the best player
0: in the state. He was the best player in the state, uh, you know, since I think since Micah Parsons went to college. So I mean, this is a really special talent. Penn State, of course, uh, heavy on him. Uh, crystal Ball, heavy on Penn State, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun one to watch because you're talking about the same schools. You're talking about him watching Ohio State. You're talking about Clemson talking about Georgia. Alabama is going to be omnipresent for all these guys. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. But uh, yeah, Julian Fleming, he's your number one target for a reason. Brian Bressy, he's your number one defensive target for a reason. And that's not going to change anytime soon. And in a matter of weeks,
1: you know, once the dust has settled after the signing period, there's going to be a few more 2019 names to know. But 2020 is going to be here upon us, and, and, and it's going to be front and center. And we've talked about it for a long time. It's been coming down the pike. I feel like for, for more than a year now, uh, how this shapes up to be a potentially exceptional Penn State opportunity in 2020, it is an exceptional opportunity. We'll see if they can capitalize. But this region is loaded down to the DMV uh, with a guy like Julian Fleming, you know, an hour and a half away from campus. That is a tremendous, tremendous edge, and and we're going to see where it goes from here, but um, I think 2020, the sky's the limit for Penn State's class.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We've been saying top five potential for that class, and I think that's – that's where your expectations probably should be, and Penn State's got to do some things on the field to sort of push it over, over to that level. But, you know, there's some some things happening at Ohio State. Maybe that's an opening right there. Of course, we, we talked about Maryland a little bit. Maybe that's something that you have to deal with, but it's going to be a fascinating cycle to follow. We're going to be here with you the entire time. Uh, this is... Uh, our last episode of the week, and we'll get back to you at some point next week, uh, we haven't really set a date to uh, a day every week. Actually, we set Monday this week, and we pushed it back a couple of times, but we haven't actually set a, a, a standard date to come to you. We're going to get to you probably twice before signing day. And But uh, we appreciate you listening along. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. Thanks for following along on the Lions 24-7 podcast.